0: Well, go ahead and grab your Bible. If you brought one, we're gonna um, continue in our series that we're calling Living Hope. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to look at it. I want you to have it in your lap so you can see it for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, um, feel free, if you're here in the room, to grab one underneath one of the seats in front of you. And uh, you can open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We are in 1 Thessalonians. And we started this series um, a little while ago. We've been kind of walking our way through this Um, through this letter, it's a letter written by uh, Pastor Paul to the church in uh, Thessalonica, which is modern day Thessaloniki, there in Greece. Um, You could go and visit that um, city, you know, when traveling starts up again, and we kind of do that again. That would be an option for you. Um, But this is a real place, and it's written to a real group of people uh, at a real time in history. And the reason that Paul was writing to this young church was to encourage them, with the living hope that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted to uh, give them something um, foundational to stand upon as a church. And what he wasn't sending was wishful thinking. Uh, he wasn't sending them good vibes, right? Or, or, or kind feelings or any of that, Such as not warm thoughts. He was giving them real concrete foundational hope that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, we are going through this letter because we, like this young church in Thessalonica, we also need real hope in our lives. We need this. We live in uncertain times. Do we not? Right? It feels like everything around us, the ground around us, is constantly shifting. We have so much to grieve about. Each week, tragedy after tragedy fills our news feeds. Example after example reminds us of the broken state of this world that we live in. We see both natural disasters. We see the choices of men and women hurting, harming other people. We see this all around us, and everybody is looking for answers. How do we fix this? How do we move past this? Everybody wants something or someone to blame And in all of it, as the church, as the people of God, we need more, again, than just warm thoughts on how to get through this. We need a living hope anchored in the gospel that applies to our life and our situation here and now, but will carry with us throughout all of eternity. And that is the central content of this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and it's for us It is this hope that we are chasing after. It's this hope that we want to see. It's this hope that we want to root and and, and anchor ourselves through. And so we have been walking through this letter, uh, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, seeing all of it. And today we come to a passage where Paul turns his attention to some things that are yet to come. Uh, In the church, we call this eschatology. Eschatology. That's the fancy word, which just means it's the study of the last things. And so we are looking at a little bit of eschatology this morning, all right? And the reason that we want to look at this, first off, is one, God has it here for us, right? That's one of the reasons we walk through letters in this way, that we go paragraph by paragraph and, and not skip over the content that may be confusing or we don't like or, or whatever. We want to see all of it because we want to experience and know the full cons- counsel of God's word. And so that's one of the reasons that we want to look at eschatology this morning is because we want to preach and and study the entire counsel of God's word together. Another reason that we want to look at it is we believe this, that in looking at the things yet to come, that it informs our life now. When you have the end in perspective, it informs things that you are walking through now, um, this is a bonus illustration just for uh, this service. I didn't share this in the uh, first service, but remember that show 24? Remember that? Um, it was on for a long time. It kind of like transformed um, TV a little bit, kind of the, it was just a new way of doing it, right? Each hour kind of represented one hour in real time. And it was this like week by week, suspenseful. Every time it would stop, you know, and you're like, oh, what's gonna happen, right? They would always end like somehow at the top of the hour is when the worst thing would ever happen, <laughs> right? That's how it always worked. Uh, that was my one beef with it. It was like, okay. So like, you know, it gets down to like the minute and it was always the top of the hour, not the, not the middle of the hour. But anyways, one of the things when I was watching that, I noticed at some point, um, you know, Keith, Kiefer Sutherland was um, Jack Bauer, right? I noticed on the credits, his name under like the executive producer su- section. And you know, to me, all of a sudden, all the suspense kind of went away at that point. I'm like, oh, he's gonna be fine, right? Jack Bauer's going to make it, right? When you know what's going to happen, all the rest of it sort of gets viewed a little bit differently. And so for us this morning, if we know the end, if we know where things are going, how we live now, changes a little bit, right? changes a lot. It transforms the way that we see this and it gives perspective to the difficult things, to the trials, to the challenges that we walk through. If we know where things are going, we know how to walk through the difficult circumstances and it answers questions that we undoubtedly have, right? We think about our future. We think about where things are going we, we, we let our minds wander and wonder what is coming. Well, we don't have to wonder. There's certain things that we have been told are going to happen and that we know how they're gonna happen. We know what it's going to look like. And there are things that God has revealed to us, that he's shown us in his word that we can count on. And so this isn't just kind of, again, wishful thinking, sort of warm thoughts about where it's going. There's some guarantees that God has given us, some bedrock truths that we can root our hope in. And even in saying this, I know some of you have been waiting since, I, since we said, hey, we're going to go through 1 Thessalonians. You knew this section was coming. You've been waiting for this, right? Some of you, eschatology, you are here for this. You love this stuff. You've got your charts. You are ready to go. And I will just warn you that I'm probably not going to dive as quite as deep as you'd like or have all the charts or answers or things that you're hoping for, and that's okay. But it's good that we that we see this and we see this in a balanced perspective of what has God said? What has he not said? What do we know? What do we not know? Others of you may be opposite camp. Some of you, you never really think about this. If you're honest, you never really think about how does everything, like where is this world going? Like what is this, what, what's, what's, what are the things that are yet to come? And this is good for you. We need to consider these things. There's a lot that's written. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament has massive passages dedicated to telling things that are yet to come. And when we study it rightly, it informs our lives now and brings with it hope for today. Hope that we can cling to, that we can stand on today. And so let me read the passage that we're gonna walk through this morning. It's in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter four. So if you found 1 Thessalonians, look for that big number four. We're in uh, verse 13 is where we're starting. And it says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, right? That's the language being used about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who are fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and, those, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we always will be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. New topic Paul introduces, right? Brothers, we want you to see this. Sisters, we want you to know this. And it's a little different. He says, we want you to not be uninformed. There's some teaching going on. Some ideas that he's given here And the big idea of what he's trying to share with them in this as he's teaching them and sharing with them is this, let me give it to you. This is where everything is sort of rooted, centered on. This is the main thrust of the passage this morning. It's this, is that we have real hope now because of Christ's coming in the future. We have real hope now, today, because of Christ's coming in the future someday. And this is the reality of uh, this passage that we want to see right here from God's word. So as we open it together, as we look at it together, as we get ready to study it, let's just pray that God would teach us now. Would you just uh, pray with me? Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that you give us, God, and, and this matters for you. This, uh, these are uh, words from you that you've given us for um, for our living, uh, for our, uh, our knowledge, God, for... Um, to instruct and inform the way that we live out this world now. And so we ask that you would teach us as we study it together. Um, God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would give us that foundation that we need to stand upon. God, we thank you for the living hope that's found in the living Savior your son, Jesus Christ. And so we, um, we stand upon that. And even now, as we look at this, God, we ask that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us, fill us with your word. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, what we're going to see uh, with this idea of real hope now, because Christ is coming in the future, there's six things Six things that, that the coming Christ gives us. When Christ comes, he, this, this, knowing this gives us these things, okay? So Christ coming gives us, here's the first one, write this down, a hope for our grief. Christ's coming gives us a hope for our grief. Look back at your Bible, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, right? There's teaching. A little different language than what Paul's used here. Uh, If you remember, if you've been with us, as we've looked at this many times, he says, hey, I have no need to write to you about these things. You already know these things. Or we shared this with you when we were with you. Or we already taught you this. Uh, This time, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. Hey, you might not know this. Or we didn't share this. So we're telling you now. We don't want you to be uninformed. Why? Well, there are some who have fallen asleep, that's the polite way, the kind of gentle way, the warmer way of saying that they have died, right? We do the same thing. We talk about people passing away or no longer with us. They refer to it here as fallen asleep. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He's trying to give them hope for their grief, in their grieving of those who have already died, those in Christ who have already died, who have fallen asleep, they're worried about that. They're like, what does that mean for them? Right, because they're anticipating, they're looking for, they're longing for the return of Jesus. This is the living hope that they're clinging to. And they're like, what about them? Right, my mom, my grandma, my son, my neighbor. They knew Christ, they were in Christ, but they've already died. What does this mean for them? Have they missed out? Are they, did they go too early? What does that mean? They're grieving and they're mourning their loss. And what Paul is writing is he wants to give hope to their grief. Why? How? Well, Christ's coming gives hope to our grief because of this. We know we know the future for those who are in Christ. Can we just acknowledge something this morning? Is that losing a loved one, when a loved one dies, it is a painful, painful experience. Right? That is accompanied with great grief. Even in saying that, even in addressing this this morning, some of you, it's like right there at the surface. We've lost loved ones this this year. We've lost family members. We've lost uh, parents. We've lost children. We've lost relatives. We've lost friends. And when we feel and we know and we experience that, there is real grief in that. It hurts. It's sad. There's pain. And there's a process with it. You know, I was just talking to someone, um, a friend of mine uh, this uh, last week and uh, recently lost his dad. And he's talking about, you know, this is a year of first, right? His, birth, his dad's birthday is coming up. It's his first, first birthday without his dad. First Easter without his dad. First holiday, first, I mean, there's a year of first that happened. And there's just this grieving that happens in that. And what's happening in the church there is that naturally they're grieving the lost of those who have already died. But what Paul is trying to do is inform their grieving. Because let's acknowledge something, let's remember something, is that when someone dies in Christ, when a believer dies, it brings with it a different understanding. There is hope even in that. Second Corinthians 5.8 teaches us that to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we know this, that that loved one that we miss so dearly is in the best place that they have ever been before. It's the greatest place. That sickness that plagued them at the end of their life, that pain that they experienced for years, that difficulty that they faced, it is all past them because they are present with the Lord and he has healed them of that fully. And so for those of us who grieve, those who, have, who we've lost, who are in Christ, we can have a hope and a confidence that they are in the best place ever. And so really our grieving is for us. And that's, that's hard too, right? It's like, well, I'm, I'm not with them though. I want to be with them. That's really where that grieving centers. And then we know that there is hope in that, that we can take confidence and we can take solace in the fact that they are in a good place with the Lord. That's why Paul is writing this. How does he know this? Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and Jesus rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with those, with him those who have fallen asleep. It's through the accomplished work of the cross of Christ it's through the resurrection of Jesus that those who die are resurrected, who, are, who live in God. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. We don't know where this word from the Lord came from. Was it direct revelation to Paul? Was it something Jesus said and we don't have recorded somewhere else? Either way, this is from Jesus himself. He declared this, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's like, there is hope for those who have already died before the Lord has returned. There's hope in that, and so listen, I know that it is painful and it is hard and there is grief in the loss, but we can also find a rejoicing and a comfort that undergirds that, that supports it, and our grief looks different than those who grieve with no hope. But I know for some of us, we're asking the question, what about those who die that are not in Christ? Like, what does that mean? And that's what I think is also the second thing that the coming of Christ brings for us. It's this, is he brings an urgency for our mission. It's an urgency for our mission. Let me read it again, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as others do who have no hope. What he's saying there is there are others who do grieve who don't have hope. And that is where the urgency for our mission comes from. I can't stand up here and I can't speak to each and individual situation. You know, again, the loved one that you're maybe thinking of, they're like, I don't know. I don't know if they knew. I don't know if they knew. I know this, I know God loves them. And I know that he gave them every opportunity to respond. And I know that if they are with God for eternity, they are there because of the accomplished finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only way by which they are there. So I can't speak to that individual situation, but I can speak to your situation right now because you're here and you're in this room and you're joining us online and you are hearing my words. And I would just say that this should bring an urgency to our mission that we need to recognize and understand that those who are apart from Christ are dead in their sin. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. There is no future or eternity with Jesus apart from Christ. That is only found in the, in the, in the belief and in the, 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 the saving work that Jesus does on our behalf. See, the reality of eternity should be a motivation to us, for us, that leads us to urgency in our mission. And I think this is so important. We need this, church. I've been more convinced of this this year more than ever. We need more than coffee cup, bumper sticker, sort of you know sentimentalism to get us through the, the difficult, like the grief of, that comes with death. We need to take every opportunity to point people toward the hope that is found in Jesus because it is available to all. It says that no one is without excuse. He has made his salvation available to all who would receive it, to all who would say his name, who would receive him as savior, who would believe on him for the salvation of their sins. He has made that available. And to those who reject there is judgment that is coming. You know, the Bible's clear that we have all sinned, that we've all fallen short of God's glory, that our sin is deserving of punishment. It's so against the character and holiness, the perfection of God, that it's it's, it's worthy of eternal punishment. And we don't very much like talking about this, but hell is mentioned very often in scripture. And it's a real place with real pain and real suffering. It's a place of hopelessness and isolation. It is the justice for the injustice that you and I have committed. That is what we all deserve. Do you know that the New Testament alone references hell 162 times? Jesus, when he was on earth, just the years that he said, the words that we have recorded that he spoke, 70 of those references were spoken by Jesus. See again, we do no good, church, to ignore or just kind of skip past those pages or, or pretend that that's not uh, there in our Bibles. It is, it's crystal clear that there is an eternity for everyone, an eternity with Christ or one separated from him. And this brings urgency to our mission. And we might not like the reality of that, it might not sit well with us, but our feelings don't really change the facts. See, our, our scriptures tell us of this to give us warning. Would we heed the warning? Would we mind the warning? Would we receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus holds out freely to us? And I would say that to you today. If you have never, if there, if you are, let me say it this way if you are trusting, if you are counting on anything but the perfect blood, the this, this sinless sacrifice of Jesus, his salvation, counted toward your account, if you are counting on anything except for the work of Jesus Christ for your salvation, whatever you it is that you are standing on is not going to be enough. You and I cannot do it. We put ourselves on this treadmill. We try and run. We try and achieve. We try and earn. It's not enough. We cannot do it. That is the good news of the gospel. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus did what we cannot do. He perfectly paid for our sin and his sin covers us. His justification is applied to us and we receive salvation in belief in him. And by confessing him as Lord and putting our our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ, it says accept, believe, receive, confess that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. I would say that today. Heed the warning Believe today and be saved. This is the open invitation that Christ holds out for all. We need urgency in our missions. This is the the message that we carry. Like this is the mission that we have. Believer, are you living with this urgency that reflects the reality apart from knowing Christ that there is no hope for the life to come apart from Jesus? Are we living with this urgency in our life? We need to be. We need to be. That's one of the things is when we think about that Christ is coming back, it brings urgency to our mission. And it's good for us. We need this. We wanna offer and hold out hope because there is hope. Jesus made a way and He welcomes all who would receive it. He continues on. Verse 15, let's get it running started. He says this, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we were, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, we have um, a reason for our confidence. Oh, I read the wrong verse. I was supposed to read 14. We have a reason for our confidence. Let's back up. Let's read 14. I was so excited about that part. 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with, those who, who, him, with him those who have fallen asleep. The reason for our confidence, church, is this. It's because Jesus is alive. Jesus walked out of that grave. Jesus is no longer dead. That's what we celebrated two weeks ago at Easter, right? That the grave is empty, the tomb is empty. And the reason for our confidence is tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus. This is the single anchor point on which we hang on to, that we hold on to. We talked about that. I, said that I gave the, the picture of, of my kids with their swing. It's the one point of contact that they hang on to, it's tied to the resurrection of Jesus. Let me give you a different illustration. I showed you just a few minutes ago that video of Martha flying the kite. Here's the thing is that the wind was, was like back and forth. It, was, it, was, it would pick up and then it would kind of calm down, pick up, calm down. When those gusts came, I'm telling you, Martha was just like sort of sliding across the grass. It was awesome. I'm like, you good? She's like, I'm good. You know, she's like sliding across and just like loving it. But I'm telling you, if it would have picked up another five, 10 miles an hour, she would have just like sailed. Like, I don't know when she would have stopped. She would have either just kind of kept going or the kite would have gone. Um, the, the, the pound, the, the test strength on that, on that line is bigger, more than her. So that can more than carry her. It would have just carried her away. All right? The way to fix that would have been to not fly the kite on such a windy day. Or the way to fix that is if I could have just tied her around something, right? Tied her to a tree, tied her to a rock. I held on to her. She needs some sort of anchor point, something to keep her in place. And I would just say this, I think sometimes we take kind of a cursory look and we think kind of intellectually about the cross of Christ and what the resurrection means and we, we sort of know it or maybe we learned it as a kid or maybe it's just sort of this cultural thing that we've kind of accepted or, or whatever. But I would just say this, that when those gusts come, and you know what I'm talking about, like when life like throws stuff at you, when the wind picks up, you need something that anchors you in place, that is immovable, that doesn't shift, that doesn't change. And maybe you haven't needed it yet, but I'm telling you, the day is coming when your world is going to be rocked and that gust is going to come. We need something that anchors us. And this is the reason for our confidence. It's this, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is where our confidence is. Because Jesus died, because Jesus rose, we can have confidence in what is yet to come. I would just ask you this, where is your confidence anchored? What is it that gives you confidence to know that you know that you know? Is it in the person of Christ and what he's accomplished and what he's done? Or are you just holding out, like taking an educated guess and just thinking maybe this is gonna work out or I hope this is is gonna pan out? I would say that we have so much more than that. Because Christ is coming again, we have reason for our confidence. It's in this. The coming Christ brings with us a reason for our confidence. Next thing, write this down. The coming Christ gives us this. It's a picture for our anticipation. A picture for our anticipation. Now I can read 16 again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Here's the good news, church. You ready? Jesus is alive and he's coming back. That is good news, Jesus is going to return. It says it right here. There is no ambiguity about this. The Lord himself, this is Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven. And when it happens, it will not be like his first coming. You remember his first coming? It was quiet, he kind of slipped in. He was born in a stable to a young teenage mom, greeted by a bunch of shepherds in an obscure like, town in the countryside of Israel, right? A little town of Bethlehem. Like that's how he came in the first time. And there was just a small group of shepherds that got a little announcement message. And that was about it. That was all the fanfare. Not so his second coming. Everybody will know. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's coming in triumphant fashion from the sky, from the heaven. We are gonna see him descend And a cry of command, there will be a cry that goes out that will be heard and it will be definitive and it will be decidedly announcing this coming king and then a voice of an archangel will call out announcing that the king of kings, the Lord of lords is here and there will be a sound of the trumpet of God that will be heard. See, there will be no mistake that the Messiah has returned, that the king of kings, the Lord of lords is here. And this is a picture for our anticipation. This is, gives us something to look for and to know. And listen, they missed it. Many people missed it the first time. They had a very specific picture about what it was gonna look like and how it was gonna work, and they missed it. They missed the Messiah. Jesus came, and they're like, you're not the Messiah. The Messiah looks like this. See, Jesus is super clear with us. We know, we're gonna know when he returns. There will be no mistake. It says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord when he returns, We are going to see him in the fullness of who he is. All of this should give you the imagery of the entry of a king. And we've seen enough movies, we've watched enough shows, right? To know what it is when a king enters, right? The cry is issued, the trumpet sounds, like everybody knows here comes the king. That's what's happening. The king is going to return in a picture for us to see and to know that he is here. And when he does, The dead in Christ will rise first. What an incredible day that will be. You know that we we can hang on to truths that are super clear in scripture. We can hold very tightly onto those things. But there's other truths in scripture that are a little less clear, right? That's a little more fuzzy. And we need to be careful that we don't hold tightly onto those, but rather we hold those loosely, I would say for us, it's this. You know, there's a lot of details around when Christ is coming and how that's going to look and how, you know, how exactly that's going to play out and all the timing of that. And the church is like sort of, you know, disagreed and and debated and tried to, like, we're trying to discern what God's word says. There's parts of that that we can hold loosely. But the part that we need to hold very, very tightly onto and that we don't have to ever back down from, we don't ever have to worry or wonder, it's this it's that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming, okay? So we can look for that, and when he does, we're gonna know it, and we can rejoice and celebrate in that. The reason that God gives us this picture for our anticipation is for our hope and for our encouragement. Jesus will return, and the whole world will know it. The whole world will know it. The amazing thing that we have in the coming Christ, fifth, is this, a promise for our eternity, not just a picture for anticipation, but a promise for our eternity. Look at verse 17. The dead will rise in Christ first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we always will be with the Lord. What a picture. The dead rising first, those who are in Christ who are still alive rising as well, meeting together and then this uniting there in the clouds, in the air, and then the best news of it all, so we will always be with the Lord. If that's not already underlined in your Bibles, you should underline that in your Bible. So we will always be with the Lord. What an amazing truth that we have. This is the promise for our eternity. Our promise is that we will always be with the Lord What you should see when you read that is that is the best place that we can be. That's where every pain is going to be healed. Every infirmity is going to be made right. Every justice will be righted. Every sadness will be taken away. Jesus is going to put things back together again. When we are with the Lord, it is as it should be. I'll just say this if it ever feels like you kind of look around, you see what's happening, you just the, your personal experience, you feel like this world is broken, um, you're on to something. It is. Like scripture affirms that. It says that this world is broken, it's been marred by sin. The reason that we grieve death and that we experience death is because death is a part of the fall, it's a result of sin. Before that, that was not the place. Sin entered the world through sin or death entered the world through sin. You know that when God made man and woman, he placed them in the garden, he placed them to be in relationship with him. And so it says that God walked with man. There was relationship, there was a proximity, there was a closeness there. And when sin entered, that, was, that relationship was broken and he placed a guard, there was a flaming sword there in the garden and they were cast out. And that relationship, there was, there was a chasm there, there was a gap there. And so we experience this in this world today, something that is broken because that relationship is not intact. We were created for something else. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says it. He talks about, you know, some of the longings, the urges, the desires that we have. And all of them, all of them have something that meets that, right? Like when you're hungry, there's food. And so you can satisfy that desire with food. Uh, When you're tired, you can take a nap. And that desire for, um, you know, recharging those batteries uh, is, is met by that. But, but all of us, I'm sure we can, if we're honest, would say that we have some urges, we have some desires that don't ever seem to be satisfied. I don't think I'm the only one in this room that just feels like, you know what, I want more. I love my life. I love my family. I love this church. I love what I get to do. I love this city. I love a lot about this world. But there are still times that I'm like, man, it still doesn't feel like it's exactly as I'd want it to be. And the way that C.S. Lewis describes this, he says this: If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, he's like, listen: if you have a desire, there's always something to satisfy it. But if you have this desire and none of the earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that our our universe is a fraud. What it does is it probably proves that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arise it or to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. We were created to be in relationship with our heavenly father, our creator God, and that is where our desires are met. And so when it says here that we will be caught up together with those who have died in the clouds, meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord, The subtext there, what you need to understand is that those desires will be fulfilled and met because you're gonna be with the God who created you. We were created for that. That's when everything is set right. Everything which is broken is fixed in that time. It's an incredible thing to look forward to, which leads us to the sixth thing, it's this, is that we need and we receive from the coming Christ a message for our encouragement. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, let's not lose the context of what is happening here. Paul is writing to those who are sad, who are discouraged, who are in despair. They're grieving the loss of those who have died. And he gives them this confidence, this hope of the coming Christ. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Would we build each other up? Encouragement. We've talked about this before. It's to put courage into, right? Would you give courage to those with these words, with this truth of who Christ is and what he has done? If you grew up around the church, maybe you've heard this phrase before. Um, Should the Lord tarry anyone? that Like, ring any bells? Should the Lord tarry? Have anyone heard that? Yeah. It's not something that we use super often today. Um, I love, man, I love, and I'm not, I'm not making fun. I seriously love the people that still use that. So if that's you, you're like in my favorite people category. I love that. Should the Lord tarry? It's kind of a phrase, Terry, for those of you that are like, wait, I'm like lost on Terry. Terry is just like to delay, right? To, to, um, to uh, take some time, to not come yet, right? The idea is the church would say like, hey, let's get together Tuesday. I'll see you there. Should the Lord tarry? Right? Like if, if God takes his time coming back, if Jesus isn't, isn't there by Tuesday, we're gonna get together Tuesday. Or hey, I'll see you, you know, we'll have dinner Friday night. Um, should the Lord tarry? I'll see you next Sunday. Should the Lord tarry? We don't really speak like that very much anymore. Some of it is just because that weird is you know, sort of out. We don't really use that. But I think sometimes we don't often think as often as we should about the coming of Christ. And I believe this, that we need to find ways to encourage one another with these truths. If you notice, the songs that we sing are chock full of reminders that Jesus is coming back. So even the songs that we sang before this sermon, the songs that we're about to sing after this sermon are gonna remind us that Jesus is returning, right? There is truth that we encourage each other with. We do that, we encourage one another through these songs. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you sing, you're not just singing to the Lord. We're singing to one another. Like there's that community part of this, and I don't know how much of our voices make it to the stream, but I would just encourage you if you're home and you're singing there, and you've got some, you know, roommate or the family's there that you would sing out loud, so that we can encourage one another. We sing to each other in that as well. We encourage one another with these words in that way. We do it through scripture, as we quote scriptures, we point people to scriptures, we preach scripture. We do that through prayer, that we would remind each other, pray for the truths of the coming Christ that it would be an encouragement. And we do this in our conversation. So I'm not advocating and saying that oh, like, this week we all need to like, you know, start using the phrase, should the Lord tarry. But I'm just wondering, like, what is the way that we kind of address that and say that? Can we just remind each other that that could happen today? Like How great would it be if that happened today, this afternoon, before next Sunday, if the Lord returned, are we ready for that? Are we living in that way? I sure hope so. Man, I hope that God comes back, that Jesus is 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 there in the clouds this afternoon. Like right after church would be perfect. We're all right there together. We can all kind of, you know, kind of do it together, right? We're there. Like that would be awesome. Right? We want to see that. This is a message for our encouragement. And just because, like I said this a couple weeks ago, the, the the Thessalonian church, they were living in the last days and we too, church, are living in the last days. The next thing that we are waiting to happen is for the return of Christ. And so for generations, the church has been in the last days, and so we live as if it could be any day now. We plan for the future, certainly. You guys got like, you're saving for your kid's college? Great, they're gonna really appreciate that. You should do that, okay? We wanna be good stewards of our future, Right? We want to, not like, you know, it said, like, you know, we're not just like freeloading and kind of waiting for Christ to come. We're still like stewarding it, but we're living as if it could happen today. And this is how we encourage one another. Would this be a message that is on our lips, in our conversations, that we would take the time to do that? That we would encourage each other with this truth. See, this is what the coming Christ means for us. We need to be reminded of this. We don't preach these kind of Passages, this this type of reminder for us enough because it puts again everything that we are living through now into perspective. This is where the real living hope comes from. It's in the return and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I pray, I'm going to invite the worship team to um, come up, and we're actually going to sing at the end here two songs. We want to sing. Um, a lot of times we'll sing one. Today we're going to sing two because we want to um, just take some more time in this moment to encourage one another with this truth. And just with these reminders that Jesus is coming again, what he says will come to pass and we can find great, great encouragement in this. Would you just pray with me as we do that? God, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures and God, for the blessed hope that we have in your return. God, we long for, we look for, we wait for the day when you will return in glory. And God, we wait expectantly for that day. Would that inform our days now? God, thank you for the hope that we find in that. God, thank you for the comfort that we find in knowing that you are going to return. And Lord, we cannot wait. We cannot wait, God, for the day when we are with you for eternity. God, thank you for making that way possible through your son, Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Lord, applied to us Credited to our account, God, we know that that is the only way. The good news of the gospel is that only through your work, Jesus, that we can be saved. And so God, we thank you for that. We trust in that. Our confidence is in that. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in the days that we live now as we live and look forward, long for eternity to come. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.